Welcome to the Grace Long Beach podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, you are dismissed to King's Quest while the rest of us are seated. My name is Daniel Long. I'm a pastor here at Grace. It's great to be with you, and I'm looking forward to this morning. I'd like to pray and ask that God would speak a word to us through his word. Um, So would you pray with me? God, you are the one who speaks. You are the one who has spoken, is speaking, and will always speak. Thank you that we can trust that that is who you are and that is what you do. But God, we also need you and your spirit to help us listen. So I ask that you would help us listen to the word that you have for us this morning. That you would form and shape us into a people who pray in the way that you, through Jesus, taught us to pray. In his name we pray. Amen. So in John 10.10, Jesus said that he came that we might have life and that we might have it abundantly. And we talked about this text a little bit in our last series uh, where we looked at the different sayings of Jesus, uh, the I am sayings. And this happens in the saying of I am the good shepherd and I am the gate for the sheep. There's this sense in which Jesus as the shepherd is leading us into abundant life, that he is the way to abundant life. And yet, it's so often the case in my life That because I have different or competing visions of what abundant life looks like, I often miss out on the way that Jesus is leading me into. That Jesus, as the one who defines the good life, is not the one that is often front and center. 
But I have all these other ways in which I am pursuing or actively distracted from the good life and looking toward another. Because we all have visions of the abundant life. We all have a vision of what the good life looks like, and whether you know it or not, you are pursuing it. And so the question is, who is defining the vision of what the good life looks like? I came across an article recently on prayer um, in which the author named Andrew Root, he's done a lot of research um, in youth ministry and writes a lot on that topic. But he referenced this, this research that this man named Daniel Simons did, who's a professor of psychology at the University of Illinois. And he conducted this experiment in 1999 in which he had a, many, a, a lot of different people watch a video. And in this video, you have people who are wearing white shirts and black shirts. And he asked people, if you can put up the, the slide there, he, one question I had when I was watching this is like, is that how our pants really looked at the end, at the, at, um, the end of the 90s? And it's probably true. Uh, so he had people watch this video, and he asked people to count the amount of times that the people in white shirts are passing the ball to one another. How many times does the ball get passed? And it's about 15, and the clip is like 30 seconds long. Now, in the middle of the video, around the 10 to 15 second mark, a person in a gorilla suit walks through the middle. The person in the gorilla suit actually walks through the middle of this movement and people passing, stops, looks at the camera, and then continues to walk. So at the end of the video, these researchers then ask the people, how many times was the ball passed? And usually they're about right. And then they said, but did you notice the gorilla? And half the people say, what gorilla? What do you mean there was a gorilla? The other half are like, what, how could you not see the gorilla? But then the, the, the other people are like, there was no gorilla. There were people just passed the ball 15 times. And of course, the, the research and, and the point is clear, is that you often do not notice what you aren't looking for. If you're looking for something, chances are you will notice it and you might find it. But if you're distracted and you're looking at something else, something that would be so obvious, like a person dressed up in a gorilla suit, you might miss it. And now the same is true of the good life. If Jesus is to offer the defining vision of what the good life is, if we are not trained, formed, and shaped to see it, then chances are we will miss it. And we will then pursue a different form or version or vision of the good life that is not in the way of Jesus at all. And central to this formation and to the shaping is the practice of prayer. Prayer is so central, and maybe this is obvious to you, but it's okay, because it can't be said enough. Prayer is so central in the shaping and the formation of our life with God in the Christian life. Listen to this extended quote by Eugene Peterson. Prayer is basic. Prayer is basic because it provides the primary language for everything that takes place on the way of Jesus. If we decide to become Christians and follow Jesus, we pray. We pray because it is the only language we have for speaking to the God revealed in Jesus. It is also the only language we have for listening to the commands and blessings and guidance that God provides through Jesus. God is nothing if not personal. Both God and we humans are most personal, most characteristically our unique selves, in our use of language. When language has to do with God and us, us and God 
We call it prayer. What I want to insist on is that prayer is not something added on to the Christian life, or any life for that matter. It is the language in which that life is lived out, nurtured, developed, revealed, and informed. The language in which it believes, loves, explores, seeks, and finds. There are no shortcuts or detours. Prayer is the cradle language among those who are born anew. And then the intimate, familiar, developing language of growing up to follow the way of Jesus. We can't put off prayer until we get good at it. It is the only language available to us as we bring our unique and particular selves, just as we are without one plea, into the daily, hourly speaking and listening to God who comes just as he is in Jesus. We can only pray our lives into the way of following Jesus. Just sit with that for a minute. We can only pray our lives into the way of following Jesus. This praying is, in large part, the Spirit praying in us. The way we follow must be internalized and embodied. Prayer both internalizes and embodies Jesus. There is no other way into the way. So prayer... And the way of following Jesus, prayer actually gets us into the way of following Jesus insofar as it, through our language to God, we are then formed by the Spirit and the way of Jesus becomes internalized and embodied. It's almost as if to say there is no Christian life if there is no prayer. So central is it to our life with God. And it is why Jesus taught us to pray. It is why Jesus taught us to pray. So for the next eight weeks, we are going to look at the prayer that Jesus gave us. The prayer that is to be our model for prayer. Now thinking about the Lord's Prayer, this is something that I, this might be the first thing I remember in, in regard to Christian life that I, that I memorized. The Lord's Prayer. It was something that I would say all the time. I went to a Christian school from kindergarten to eighth grade, and we always said the Lord's Prayer. It's something I already know and will always know for the rest of my life. It's something my children know, because it's a prayer that we pray often at night. But the thing is, it's always dangerous, right, with something that's memorized, something that we become familiar with, is that we forget the content. We are so busy with saying the words or just, just letting the words flow out that we don't stop to consider what it is we're actually saying. But Jesus gave us this prayer that we might pray it and that it would shape our prayer life with God. So we're going to spend eight weeks exploring the different phrases, the different prayers that are contained in this one prayer in hopes that we would become a people whose prayer life is shaped and formed by this prayer, but who also become people together who pray. And our Christian life is marked by, by a way of prayer with Jesus. So this morning, this is an introductory sermon, I want to make some big picture observations about the prayer, and then talk about the prayer as an invitation. So here's my first big observation about the prayer, and none of this is obvious. If you came to hear something you hadn't heard before, well, what are you going to do? Hopefully the Spirit makes it new, right? That's what the Spirit does. Uh, So my first observation that's obvious is that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. So this prayer is found in Matthew 6. And in Luke 11. Now in Luke 11, it says the disciples asked, Lord, teach us to pray. Now this is striking to me because it means that, that if Jesus was a Jew, and he was, and he was a good one, then he would pray all the time. 
He would have prayers that he would say in the morning, in the afternoon, and at night. So the disciples saw Jesus praying. And they saw that his life was a life of prayer. And we have so many stories in the Gospels of Jesus getting away to pray with the Father. Jesus taking the disciples up to a mountain to pray where they fall asleep. Jesus in agony before God, before the cross, praying and crying out to God. Jesus' life was a life of prayer. And so the disciples would see this. But the disciples wanted to know more. They wanted to know how they are to pray. And so they asked Jesus to teach them. And he does. That's what's crazy. Jesus didn't say, no, you got this. You've seen me so many times. You know how to do this on your own. Jesus taught them to pray. Jesus took the time, because he is that type of shepherd, that type of teacher, to say, pray in this way. And this is the prayer he gave them, which leads me to my second obvious point, which is, this is the prayer he gave them. He did not, he did not give them another prayer, but he could have. Right? If you think about it, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus could have given them another prayer. But this is the prayer he gave them. This is the prayer he gave us. This is the prayer that we are to pray, the prayer that is to shape our life with God, our language and our conversation with God. There is no other prayer that Jesus gave the disciples to pray in response to their asking that they would be taught. Now the third obvious thing about this is that even though the disciples were with Jesus, living with Jesus, walking with Jesus, watching Jesus, they still needed to learn. And Jesus still needed to teach them. Which means those of us on this side of Scripture, on this side of the presence of Christ, we are to always be in a posture of learning. None of us have arrived when it comes to the Christian life. None of us have arrived when it comes to prayer. Now, in talking about the Lord's Prayer over the last couple weeks, I've actually heard people have, I've heard of either people saying, or people have told me, like, I, don't, I don't feel like my prayer life is any good. Um, and mostly because I don't really know how to pray. And I feel weird and awkward praying, especially in front of people, because I'm not sure I'm going to say the right things. Or I'm not sure what I'm supposed to, to say or where I'm supposed to start. And what do I even pray for? Because some prayers sound really selfish. Other ones sound so, so distant and far off. So where do I even start? Now, if you're feeling any of that right now, the disciples did too. So you are in good company. The disciples watching Jesus pray still needed to be taught how to pray. Which means we, as his disciples, on this side of Christ's presence, who is still with us, but not in the way he was with the disciples, we still need to be learning from Christ. We are to always be in the posture of humility and learning when it comes to the Christian life, but when it comes to prayer. And the thing about prayer is it seems like it should just be natural. We should just know how to do it, right? The most authentic prayers are the ones you just pray spontaneously. But Jesus seems to suggest that prayer is so important that you actually need to be given words in order to do it well. Some things about the Christian life are so significant that we aren't to be left on our own when it comes to those practices. Prayer is one of those. So if you feel like you've been a Christian for a long time, but you don't even know where to start with prayer, this is the place to start. 
if you feel like you're an expert on prayer, this is the place to go back to, to be sure, to be formed that the prayers you're praying are shaped and modeled after this one. So those are my big picture observations. But I want to talk a little bit about this prayer as an invitation. As we get into the coming weeks, we'll tease out some of the more details. But I want us to to sit and think about Christ teaching us as an invitation to live life with Jesus. Now, the, the word I can't stop thinking about over this last week that I've done a lot of praying through is the first word, our. I can't get over that pronoun. It's a good one. That this is where the prayer begins. Our. It goes to Father, but it begins with our. Who is taken up in that hour? Who is taken up in, in this plural part of this prayer? And if you begin here recognizing that there is plural language, at least when it's referencing us, that there is never I. There is never I in the prayer. There is our, us, and there is you and your. And this is significant to me because if we think about this word, our, what it means first is that it's an invitation into friendship with Jesus. See, when Jesus teaches us how to pray, he says, pray this way, our Father. Which means that in, in praying this prayer, we are praying alongside Jesus. And Jesus is praying alongside of us. That we are pulled in to relationship and to friendship with Christ in such a way that our words are each other's words. The only reason that we can call God Father is because Jesus himself did first, and he has invited us into relationship, into friendship, in such a way that we can have that language before God also. Our It's an invitation into friendship with Christ, but it's also an invitation into friendship with one another. Because the our Father becomes not just our words with Christ's words, but he becomes our words together. What this prayer does in shaping and forming us into people who pray is it reminds us that these are our words before God. That the I is actually becomes part of a greater we. Now that's an incredible thing to consider, especially in this hyper-individualized culture, where the most important thing is what? I, mine, me. But the prayer leaves no room for that. We are caught up in this hour. We are caught up not only in friendship with Christ, but in friendship with one another. That these words become our words. And that as we pray this together, as our imaginations are shaped and formed together, this becomes what we long for, what we want. This begins to shape our life as a church, our lives as individuals living with each other to bear witness to God in the world. We are pulled into friendship with Christ, and we are pulled into friendship with one another. But we are also pulled in in such a way that our imaginations begin to be shaped by this prayer. Our imaginations begin to be formed and shaped around this prayer, that our hearts, our desires, our longings, our hopes become the same or hopefully formed by 
the hopes, longings, and desires of Jesus. That as we begin to pray, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, that we be, our imagination begins to see who God is, not only in the intimacy of the Father, but also in the distant otherness of this adoration and worship. Let your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. All of a sudden, I'm shaped, my imagination is shaped in such a way that I desire to see what God wants to do in the world, not my will and what I want to do. Give us this day our daily bread. All of a sudden, my imagination is shaped to see God as the abundant, generous, and gracious giver of all things that I need, and that I am the creature who is in need and need to be open-handed for the gifts that God gives. Lead us not, or forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Our imaginations are shaped in such a way that I recognize that I am one who needs the forgiveness of God, but that I am also one that needs to forgive others. I was talking to somebody before the service this morning who said, I was driving over the last couple days. I've been praying this prayer. I was driving, and I, I was just so angry at all these people talking on their cell phones or looking at their cell phones and cutting me off. And I began to, to ask that God would forgive me for the ways that I was feeling toward these people. And then he said, it struck me that I need to be as quick to forgive as I am as quick to ask God to forgive me. That is the work that this prayer does. Is that as we recognize ourselves as in need of God's grace and forgiveness, we become people who then extend it, offer it to others. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. All of a sudden, we see how susceptible we are to follow, falling off the way. And that we need the protection of God. We need his guidance through the valleys, through the darkness. And we need his protection from evil and his deliverance. Because I cannot deliver myself. I cannot deliver this world from what it needs to be delivered from. Only Christ can do that. That the prayer works on our imagination if it becomes the prayer that we allow to form us. But if you notice in our imagination, there's this vertical and horizontal dimension on which this prayer functions. As we pray to God and as we consider who God is, we can't help but be pushed out to see the world, people, one another in a whole different way. And that's what I love about this prayer. Our imaginations are shaped in how we view God, and our imaginations are shaped in how we view ourselves and those around us. The prayer is profound. And if we let it do work on us, we will become people who see the world through the lens of Jesus. That is why he gave us this prayer to pray. The last invitation is an invitation to see what the good life is all about. That our, as we are pulled into friendship with Jesus and to one another, as our imaginations are shaped, we actually become, we get to notice again, or maybe for the first time, what it is we're to be wanting. We maybe discover what it is we have been wanting, even though we weren't aware of it. And then we discover we want life with Jesus. We want life with Jesus. And then our longings and our desires for what the good life is match with the Jesus who says, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. So that all of a sudden our imaginations, our hearts are attuned to God in such a way that we begin to see the life that he's calling us into. And we have the words 
to pray that would then shape our hearts to live into it. Dallas Willard says this about prayer. Somewhere on here he says it. There it is. He says, Many people make little progress in learning to pray simply because they have not seriously entered into Jesus' answer to the explicit request, Teach us to pray. Praying is a form of speaking. And it is best learned by entering into the words that Jesus gave us to say God when we pray. He is the master of this subject too. So we learn from Jesus how to pray And perhaps many of us aren't sure how to pray because we haven't let Jesus teach us how to pray. So I'm going to invite you or encourage you into three different practices in in these next eight weeks. The first one is this. Consider yourself a learner, a student, at the feet of the wonderful, gracious teacher who is Jesus. So take the posture of a student before Christ teaching you how to pray. That's the first practice. The second practice is to pray this prayer. It's to pray this prayer daily, nightly, as many times as you want. And I'm not saying that this prayer is a mantra or some incantation that if you say it enough, things will happen. But it does begin to shape the way that we pray. I've been attempting to do this over the last week and a half, and it has shaped my imaginations. As I was praying for us this morning, I was praying through this prayer, and it was really incredible to see how I was shaped to see this time as an opportunity, as an opportunity to hear from the one who invites us into life with him. But I also encourage you, as you pray this prayer, to say it. Because Jesus doesn't say, pray in your mind, dot, dot, dot. Teach us, Lord, to pray. When you pray, say these things. I think, I wonder how much of our prayer life might, what it might do if we began to pray out loud more often, with one another or by yourself. To pray out loud these prayers, when you pray, pray using words. We have been given language with which to use in our conversation with God. That's an incredible thing. And as we pray out loud, we actually focus more often, and we begin to hear ourselves pray and the things that we're praying for. And I think we get to discover who we are a little bit better, but we also get to discover who we are in the presence of Christ, which is, I think, the most safe place to do that. So, first thing, student. Second thing, pray this prayer. Third thing, over the next eight weeks, uh, Beth and I are going to be hosting prayer opportunities at our house. So the first and third Sundays, you can see this in your bulletin with the addresses on there. First and third Sundays are going to be at my house. Second and fourth Sundays are going to be at Beth's house. Over the next eight weeks, we're going to be getting together to pray. And we're going to learn together how to pray. And part of this is because we're in this season as a church um, where I think we're wondering, okay, what is next? What God are you up to? And we need to come to God with whatever it is we're thinking about, what we think is best, um, and to say, God, what do you have for us? So this is an opportunity for us to be dependent on the God who has so generously wanting to guide and lead us and to be attentive to that leading. So I'm I'm not joking. You're all invited to my house tonight, starting. Um, 
and then we'll figure out if you all decide to come. But I think it's going to be an incredible opportunity for us to, to be open to God's talking with us um, about what he has and, and to learn, again, what it means to pray. So as, as I, as, as what you can be praying for over these next eight weeks is that we would step into the invitation that Jesus offers to us in teaching us how to pray, that we might then learn how to pray well. St. Augustine says that all prayers and petitions find themselves in the Lord's Prayer, as if to say that the Lord's Prayer somehow contains all of the prayers and petitions that we might ever pray. And as we're pulled into friendship with Christ and one another, not just now, but all throughout history, and as our imaginations are formed, and as we get a vision of what the good life is, how Jesus describes it, may we be a church, may we be a church who so desperately longs for the life that Jesus offers and who is then able to bear witness to that life in the world. That is what God is calling us to do. And my prayer is that we would become people who are shaped and formed in order to do that, to bear witness to the presence and love of Jesus in our lives, in our families, in our cities, in our neighborhoods.